Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today. Afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the next installment of MSP webinars. Today we've got a, a fun one. We've got David Sims with uh, HIPAAForMSPs.com, and he's going to give us an introduction about, you know, doing doing HIPAA as an MSP and how do we uh, stay in compliance? How do we keep our customers compliant and everything in between? So obviously there's there's a lot to learn when it comes to HIPAA. So you're not going to walk out of here being an expert after 90 minutes or so, but you're going to know a heck of a lot more than you did going in. And uh, yeah, so uh, for those of you that, that may not have heard, this is the final webinar that's going to be done, the Demio system. I had enough pushback from, from all the people that attend these webinars that uh, I am I'm moving back to Zoom. So you you all can thank me later when you're watching webinars in 1080p. Uh, this is the last one that'll be in 720p. And um, yeah, so we're just going to kind of dive right in. Uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, I'm joined by David Sims. Uh, David, could you kind of fill us in about your background and, and maybe what makes you an, a HIPAA expert? Sure. Um, my background is that uh, I am an MSP, currently running MSP in the Charlotte, North Carolina market. And uh, the, basically what got me involved in HIPAA compliance was that back in 2011, 2012, I had some some medical clients and they were telling me about this thing called HIPAA that was coming and I need to pay attention to it. And of course, I said, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and uh what, what I learned along the way and looking at some of it, though, is that what was coming was going to affect me more than I, uh, when I, than I realized. And so I started looking for training around HIPAA compliance, and all I could find at the time was training that was around covered entities, you know, doctor's offices and dentist offices and all that. And I, so I kept looking. I said, what can I find that's really for IT? I don't need to know all these other things that, you know, code sections and you know, how I'm going to be, do billing and all that. I don't, I don't need to, to know any of that information. Uh, and it was very difficult for me to find something. I finally did stumble across um, a provider that was doing HIPAA compliance and they were doing training and they had started an IT related training course. And that was through a, a firm called Cardin Compliance, who I have, uh, who I now have a relationship with and they actually teach within uh, our HIPAA for MSP site. So, that was kind of my journey into it. And then uh, as HIPAA became more prevalent, I started seeing more people on Facebook and, and some of these other forums asking about HIPAA compliance. And I, what I really wanted to do was just be able to find something I could just kind of send people to and say, here's, you know, here's what I learned and here's what you can learn and, you know, to kind of go from there. Unfortunately, I didn't find anything. So I did what most enterprising entrepreneurs would do. I saw a need in the market, so I decided to create my own uh, resource. And so that's kind of how it was born. Um, whether I'm an expert or not, I, I would not say that I am. I think I know a, a lot more than probably most in, in the niche. But the thing about HIPAA is it's very 
uh, complicated. It's a law, it's a regulation. Even those people that are in it for years have trouble sometime in certain aspects of it. So, uh, and that's why you get so much confusion around it. But um, I, I hope I can bring some value to the, to the people that are attending today. Sure. Um, so for us, the thing about HIPAA is really that in, in IT, because I don't want to really go into what is HIPAA. It's it's kind of a big, huge thing that we don't really need to know a lot about. And so that's one of the interesting things about it is people start saying, hey, I'm, I'm an expert in HIPAA. I understand HIPAA compliance. Typically what they mean on our side when you're dealing with uh, technology it really means that you understand the security rule, which is just a really small piece of HIPAA. So I always caution people, don't, don't go out there telling people you understand HIPAA or you deal with HIPAA compliance. You may deal with part of it, but you don't, you don't do all of it. So that's one thing to understand. The other part of it is really what it is for us is it's looking at how to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of that protected health information of those clients. And that's it kind of in a nutshell. And then there's a lot of regulation and guidance around that. Hmm. Um, all right. So do we have to, do we have to become like HIPAA certified to be mm -hmm. able to, to help our clients with this stuff? Uh, great question. Um, and I have seen things that say HIPAA certified and, and that drives me nuts because <laughs> there is no uh, HIPAA certification that is recognized by the government. However, having said that, there are plenty of things out there that is certification around HIPAA. Uh, and that those are things that are just backed by the companies that put them together. We even have the same thing in HIPAA for MSPs. There's a certification course. It just means you went through the course and you took the test and you scored, you know, passing. But there's nothing that's recognized by OCR and HHS. Okay. Um, so, so, okay with with aspect i'm just just trying to figure out everything that i need from you know my company to start doing hipaa so what about like uh my my insurance that i have like do i need to have a special rider or a special type of insurance policy for my business when i'm offering hipaa compliance services well I, i'm certainly not a an insurance guru or professional but i would say you definitely need to bring that up to whoever you have your insurance with uh, some of them are going to ask you a lot of very specific questions about what you do around compliance and more specifically, they're wanting to know, are you, are you touching that, what we call PHI, the protected health information? That's where the things start getting really, you know, hairy. Uh, insurance agencies now are really paying attention to this because as these breaches are happening, they're realizing that they sometimes have to pay a large sum of money depending on you know, <laughs> the insurance. Uh, and what's going on. So I would say that's definitely a conversation that you want to have, but make sure even if you get cybersecurity insurance or any of these other insurances that are out there nowadays, you really need to understand what they cover because you may find out that it, they do not cover what you thought they did. Mm -hmm. And if a covered entity, which is typically a, your client, if a covered entity puts some of that liability back on you, like for instance, I have, I have an agreement right here from a client I was reading earlier today that put, liability back on me 
for some things. Uh, for instance, if we have a breach, I have to pay to notify their patients, which can be, you know, let's say they have 5,000 patients and it costs $5 a piece to do the notification. That's a lot of money. So is that going to come out of, you know, my account? Or is that going to come out of an insurance claim? Those are the things I need to make sure are covered. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, it looks like your video just cut out. Not sure if okay. that's just for me or for everyone else. But little issues like this is why we're no longer going to use Demio. <laughs> well, I see me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's out for everyone, apparently. Is it? Oh, well. Uh, let me turn um, this out. I'll turn it off and back on and see if that does. That's okay. So... All right. Do do I need to be HIPAA compliant, you know, as an MSP? You only need to be HIPAA compliant if you're dealing with business associates or covered entities and, and those are all buzzwords. But if you're dealing with those, in which case you're handling that protected health information like we were talking about and you're doing basically you're looking at four things. Do you create it? Do you receive it? Do you maintain it or do you transmit it? If you do those things, any of those things, then that more than likely puts you in the realm of being what's called a business associate. If you don't do any of those things, then you're not a business associate and, and certainly don't take on the liability if you don't do those things. However, what I find more so, that off, more so than not is that MSPs or IT professionals are definitely a business associate and then they'll argue me up and down that they're not and all the reasons why they're not. Uh, I mean, I'm a, a huge proponent. If you're not one, don't try to be one. Uh, you certainly don't want to sign anything that's not uh, doesn't apply to you. But at the same time, if it does apply to you, not signing a business associate agreement is not going to get you off the hook. In fact, it's going to put you even more on the hook because you're in a constant breach or constant violation um, status. So let's say, for instance, you have a client and you're doing, let's say you're doing backups for them. You're backing up what's considered protected health information. If you don't have a business associate agreement with your client, then they technically are breaching HIPAA. So there's a breach there because they've allowed you to take and transmit that information from point A to point B. So now they have a breach that they are they should deal with. Now, whether they do or not, it's another story. But just because you haven't signed a business associate agreement, you're not quote unquote HIPAA compliant. You've now put your client in a state of breach. Mm -hmm. and transmit and receive yep receive so yep. can you give me can, can you give me like a, a, a simple example of each of those so usually we're not going to create phi so that's typically one that you're not going to find an it person doing okay uh, maintaining this is the one that gets a little argument PHI here. is personal health information right protected health information protect okay uh, you have to remember that not all patient health information is protected health information. They're very different. So you can actually have the same data uh, in the hands of somebody different and it not apply, HIPAA not apply. Uh, where this happens sometime in our world is in med spas. Like if you go to a med spa and you're having Botox done or you're having um, some of these other procedures where you're, or even a, a cash only doctor's office, maybe they decide they don't want to do insurance. They just want to do cash only uh, they're not bound by HIPAA at that point. Even though it's still uh, medical information, it's your personal medical information, it's not protected by HIPAA. Interesting. So. Okay, so that's that's creating 
the information. Uh, what about yep. maintaining the information? So maintaining, this is the one that gets people, you know, pushing back and forth. Maintaining the information is not necessarily just maintaining that data. It's also maintaining where that data is. So if you're maintaining desktops and servers where that data is stored, then you have what's called persistent access to that data. And because you have persistent access to it, you're maintaining those systems that that's on. So even if it's encrypted, you know, we have, I hear the argument a lot that oh, I, I can't see the data. You know, I, I don't have access to it. Uh, technically you do because you can see the data set. You could go in and highlight it and, and click delete and it's gone. So now you've, you've affected the fact that it's, a, it's not available. Remember we talked earlier about the confidentiality, integrity, and availability. If it's not long, no longer available, then you've affected that. So uh, that's part of it. Uh, so you see, we went over maintain, create, uh, receiving and transmitting are typically what we do most. I don't receive data within my MSP business that's PHI, but what I do um, when I receive it, it's not digitally. Usually what it is is a doctor, let's say they have a laptop and it's having a problem and we have to bring it back to the office to work on it. Well, that case we have just received PHI. So that system, whether it's a laptop, desktop server, or sometime even a cell phone, it has protected health information on it. We've received that information and now we're now liable for that. Okay. With transmitting, we that's mostly you back. You're transmitting, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, technically, yep. Uh, typically, with transmitting, it could be that. It can also be backups, and that's usually where that comes into play. So you're doing backups where you're moving the data from one place to the other. And even though it's going from your client to your vendor, and it's not going through your systems in most cases, uh, you're still the person that's in the middle. And so, because you're in the middle, then you can't pass that liability you know, to your vendor directly. Okay. So I've, I've got a few people that, that just wanted to get some clarification. Did you say if they don't accept insurance, they don't have to be compliant? Mm -hmm. uh, that is one aspect of it. Uh, you can go to, uh, I don't have the link for it. Maybe I can find it here before we get done. But there's a, there's a, uh, a quick uh, PDF file that you can go through and it says, you know, if you do this, yes or no, then it kind of sends you down this little flow chart and it'll tell you whether or not you're a covered entity or business associate. Uh, typically the question is, are you a covered entity? Accepting insurance is one of the, uh, is one of those things that you have to be able to do if you're collecting insurance for medical procedures uh, so that you're transmitting that information to an insurance agency and then they're, they're making payments back to you. That's one of the elements of it. So in the case, so in the case of a uh, a med spa where they're doing medical procedures and it's a cash only ba basis or credit card or whatever, they're not actually filing insurance on that claim. Uh, then HIPAA does not apply to them. That's weird and messed up. But 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 let me tell you, let me throw another curveball at you. Uh, state laws are now starting to get to where they are including medical information. Doesn't matter if it's HIPAA covered or not. If it's medical information or personal information and you have a breach, a lot of state laws are now kicking in and uh, you're liable for state law violations. So let's talk about the BAA, the Business Associate Agreement. Mm -hmm. um, so my understanding is um, that basically kind of outlines my relationship with my customers uh, data and who is responsible or liable for what and what I would be doing with their data? 
So in um, in layman's terms, you really covered just a few things with the business associate agreement. You're talking about number one, how you're protecting that data. So we're going back to the same three things we talked about earlier. How are you going to protect the confidentiality, the integrity and availability of that data? That's covered in there. Also, another part of it is uses and disclosures. So how are you allowed to use and or disclose that data? That's also covered in your business agreement. Some other things that would be in there would be things like uh, breach notification. So let's say you have a, a breach. How many, how many days do you have to, before you have to notify that client uh, that, that something's happened? You may also have breach notification costs that could be passed back to you. It depends on a lot of times who's doing the, uh, the agreement because your client can present you with agreement or you can present them with agreement. And they are, and they're always negotiable. I tell everybody, every MSP that just because they hand you a business associate agreement and tell you to sign it doesn't mean you have to sign it as it is. You can negotiate. You can go back and say, well, I, I want to change this or I want to add that or take away that. Uh, and it's up to you and that client to come to terms with that and, and decide whether or not you're going to continue doing business together. So with that said, I mean, is it, is it possible that when you negotiate, you could actually make the BAA not compliant, if that makes sense? Yeah, there are certain elements that have to be in there. Yeah. Okay. So they can't, yeah. <clears throat> um, okay, so... William has a good question. I'm going to ask it, even though it's going back a little bit. So you mentioned earlier with the receiving and transmitting of the data. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you take care of servers and workstations on site, um, let's, let's do it two different ways. Let's say somebody brings you a laptop. The laptop itself does not have any PHI on it because everything's hosted in the cloud. You do not have the password for the PHI system. Do I have to be, do I have to have a BAA? Do I have to do all the HIPAA compliance stuff in order to do a hardware repair on that laptop? It's, so in that case, now everything we talk about a lot of time is, is very dependent upon all the circumstances around it. So, of course. Um, but if you, if you do not have access to PHI, there's none on the laptop. And I will say that I've never, ever had a client that did not have PHI all over the place, even though they have a cloud-based EHR and everything else. They always have scanned documents they have on there or photos or Word documents. I mean, I have this conversation regularly with doctors and they say, oh, we don't have any PHI on that system. I can almost always go straight to the My Documents folder and it's littered with documents with PHI in it. So huh. in the case, in the case that there's nothing there and you have access to nothing, then um, you, you probably don't have anything to worry about, but it's very much going to be, you know, a, a case by case basis on what that looks like. Got it. So hmm. we like to call that a fact specific determination. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so basically if, you know, the, the local MD down the road brought me a computer and said, I, I need you to upgrade the RAM in this. Mm -hmm. Technically, it sounds like I should have a BAA. Well, if they've got, if they got PHI on there, 
then that's going to put you in harm's way. You know, just imagine that. But based on what you just said, mm -hmm. you're, you're almost always going to find PHI on their computer. Yeah, almost always, yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, unless it's just like a really old dude and all he does is surf <laughs> the web and, and do his QuickBooks, then, then maybe, just maybe, there's no PHI. Right. I feel like you're you're probably right, man. There's there's probably there's probably pH high on their phones and they don't even realize it. Oh yeah. All the time. All the time. It's it's everywhere. It's it's almost like saying, um, you know, you're if your business is medical, you're gonna have medical information all over everything, just like our business is IT and there's IT information all over everything. Um keeping it keeping it all together in one place is very difficult. The bigger the organization, the more difficult it is. The more users they have, uh, the more problems you're going to have. So it's it's a hard thing to do. Now, you know, having said that, it is their responsibility to make sure that that they are doing their compliance. It's not my responsibility to make sure my my clients are doing everything in compliance. But it is my responsibility to make sure I do what I have said I'm going to do in that SLA or MSA or BAA. Lots of acronyms here. <laughs> so. Um, so I just want to recap real quick. Uh, we're 20 minutes in. Uh, I'm joined by David Sims. Uh, he started HIPAA for MSPs.com. HIPAA is one P and two A's. If you Good job. if you're really new, okay. Um, so we're we're just kind of doing a little uh, a little Q and A session with him. Now, okay. So you said they are responsible for keeping themselves in compliance. I am not. Okay. So we're going to talk about Steve, Steve, the tech, right? Mm -hmm. So Steve, the tech, uh, Dr. Doolittle comes and brings his laptop for me to work on in my break fix shop. Um, I don't know. Dr. Doolittle is a doctor or maybe I do, but I don't know. It is a company computer because he doesn't specify he simply asks me to do some work, whether it's software or hardware. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Am I in trouble? If you didn't know? Correct. No, no, you, you wouldn't be in trouble. They would be in more trouble than you are. Uh, so, so in this case, is ignorance bliss? It can be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's one of those things, too, where you have to consider that if for some reason they get audited, let's say, they say they have a breach because typically a random audit is just not going to happen. Uh, they do happen, but it's just so rare. Um, I wouldn't worry about that. It's typically going to be something where you have a breach or the medical information is found online somewhere by somebody, which happens a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the information, you know, whistleblower, uh, it could be a, you know, pissed off ex-employee decides, Hey, I know my company I just left or got fired from is not doing compliance. And so I'm going to call and, and make a complaint. I've even heard that, that some IT companies are getting ticked off at clients and filing complaints. Um, but those are the types of things that's usually going to get some type of uh, audit going. And, you know, if somebody comes in and says, you know, is there a reasonable, um, is it reasonable to think that you didn't know that there could be, you know, PHI on a system or that a doctor uh, has PHI or an office has PHI. Is that reasonable to think that? I mean, I don't want to get in that argument. I can't sit here and tell you whether or not it's going to be a violation or somebody's going to come after you. I'm just saying, I don't want to be in that discussion with somebody. Fair enough. So, so let's talk about the BAA some more. Um, 
how how many levels deep does that thing need to go? Like, okay, so Dr. Doolittle comes to Steve the Tech. Steve the Tech becomes his MSP. Mm-hmm. Um, does my PSA company need to provide a BAA between the doctor's office and them? Uh, it only goes one level deep. So they need to have a, the, your client needs to have a BAA with you. And then you need to have a BAA with all the vendors that would also fall under that, those four purviews about maintaining and creating and receiving and transmitting. So typically, like I said earlier, backup vendors, um, if you're using an RMM tool and maybe they have a knock where they can log into a system, you know, obviously they're going to have access to that, that data. They may also log in and see the data up on the screen. So they're going to be exposed to it. So those are the types of vendors that you'd have to have a, a business associate agreement with. So <clears throat> looking at your typical ConnectWise show, because mm-hmm. I know those are popular. So Screen Connect, LabTech, those two need to have the, those two pieces of software would be the ones that need to be AA between me and them. If the, it doesn't necessarily have to be with a software vendor. It depends on who has access. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about the two you, you listed. Uh, we use log me in through continuum. So I don't have a business associate agreement with log me in. I have one with continuum. Um, log me is not logging into anything. They're not looking at anything. There are certain ways I have to set up and use their system. And this is where you see people say we have a, uh, we have a piece of software that can be used in a HIPAA compliant manner. Um, you know, HIPAA compliance doesn't extend to a product or service. It's, it's extends to a company. So you can't really say I have a HIPAA compliant backup or I have a, a, I mean, we say that all the time that truly that's not what it is. You have a service that is set up in a way that can, um, can, can address compliance, but it in of itself is not quote unquote HIPAA compliant. That's something your company has to do through, policies and procedures and, you know, developing a culture of compliance within your company, following best practices for security, documentation, training, all those things. But, okay. So let's take it back a step. Are you familiar with uh, TeamViewer? Yes. Okay. TeamViewer. I install that on my customers' computers and servers. Okay. We need a BAA between me and TeamViewer. If, if TeamViewer has access to it, then yes. Okay. So with that said, then it sounds like if, if you plan on doing HIPAA stuff, you need to have a conversation with each of the vendors that you'll be installing tools directly onto client computers to see if they would ever have access to those machines, whether it's permissive or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with LabTech, for example, um, they can log right onto the lab tech server for me and do tech support. So okay. I would say that that means they have access, right? Mm-hmm. And, and another thing you can also do as well is let's say you have, you know, in your, in your scenario here, let's say you have a, a vendor that needs to access, maybe they don't have persistent access. In other words, you have to give them access and you have to be there watching them as they do their work. In that case, you could probably get around having a business associate agreement with them because then you can say, I'm there, I'm watching what's going on, I'm making sure they're not accessing any of that data, and when they're done, they're off. So they don't have persistent access, and nor did, did they expose themselves to any of that PHI because you were sitting there making sure that didn't happen. 
Got it. Um, now somebody, uh, I believe it was Errol earlier asked about antivirus. And by the way, I posted that link earlier um, to that uh, P that uh, PDF I was talking about. If you go to that PDF and you you know, kind of go through that flow chart, it'll tell you whether or not a provider is um, a covered entity or not. Cool. Um, HHS.gov website specifically states the HIPAA security rule requires implementation of security measures that can help prevent introduction of malware including ransomware. And then he's got the the rule and the whatever else. Uh, with that said, what is the most HIPAA compliant antivirus software to prevent malware? There's not one. <laughs> um, one thing that you'll not see HHS do is recommend um, certain um, companies or products they leave that up to us and, and that drives a lot of IT people crazy because we won't just give us what we need and give us a checklist and let us do what we got to do and buy what we have to buy and move on. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, it's better that they don't, it's better that they're a little vague and they say, we don't really care what tools you use. We just make, you just need to make sure that you're following the guidance we were giving you, but we don't care how you do it. That's actually better, even though it drives people crazy because it enables us to be able to choose what we wanted to, to use. You have to keep in mind, HIPAA is written for the one person doctor's office all the way to huge medical systems. And so it has to apply to everybody across a huge, uh, you know, landscape of, of people. So it not only does it apply to them, but it now applies to us as business associates in a, in a much different way than it did before. So as a small IT company, we're trying to follow HIPAA. As a huge hospital chain, they're trying to follow HIPAA one doctor, doctor's office or dentist office, everybody's trying to follow it. So if you started saying, hey, you have to use this specific software or this specific um, incident management type tool or whatever, I mean, it could be way out of line for what most of us can afford. And there, therefore, we couldn't follow HIPAA. Got it. You <clears throat> um, scroll back up. So uh, William asked when we were talking about um, ConnectWise having access to stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought it was HIPAA. No, it's Matthew. Is it that your vendor, so in this case it was TeamViewer, could access if they really wanted to or if they actively would connect for troubleshooting? If they have persistent access. And persistent doesn't mean that they do access it. It means that they can access it. So where this takes place a lot is when you have server a server sitting in a data center somewhere. So the data center, you know, they've got your server in a cage or something somewhere. Uh, they're not accessing the data, but they have physical persistent access to that machine, therefore to the data. And so therefore they are also a business associate. And that's been argued time and time again. And, and there's documentation from HHS that, that even says that, that that is the case. Persistent access would take place in that instance and they would be a business associate. And, and Zach says, the key thing here is industry best practice. If you're following and auto auditing your compliance with some form of industry best practice, it puts you in a good position. 
but that doesn't necessarily, and I'm just going to follow on that. Just because you're in a good position doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> well, here, here's what IT people like to argue about. They say, you know, I'm using all the security stuff. I've got the UTMs in place and I have everybody, everything's hardened as much as it can be. And, and I have antivirus and I have all these things and that's great. However, you can be, you can be the most secure business on the planet and still not be HIPAA compliant. Uh, they're, they're mutually exclusive. That's why you have to have all the other things that go along with compliance. Best practices are great and they're necessary. Security is necessary, but that's just a small part of it. So explain that to me. How can I be the most secure business on the planet, but not be HIPAA compliant? Uh, because a lot of HIPAA compliance is around policies and procedures and documentation and training and those things. So it's a piece of it, but it's not all of it. Got it. Matter of fact, I think somebody said that. Zach, good job, yeah. Zach. <laughs> um, okay, so are you actually like protected by HIPAA or is it really just designed to help mitigate damage? The protection really comes down to the patients which are being protected. Okay. So, you know, it's their data. And I say they, I mean, we're all patients, right? I mean, I go to the doctor, you go to the doctor, dentist, all these places. We want to have that information protected. And unfortunately, what, you know, HIPAA didn't start out really that way. It started out talking about health insurance portability, right? That's what it stands for. Uh, but what has happened is that businesses have decided that they want to ignore security. And so the government has to step in and I hate that about it, but you know, we're seeing that now on a state level that you're starting to see the Equifax breaches and all these other breaches that are happening. And now states are going, look, we, we're fed up with this. We're sick and tired of these businesses not protecting uh, personal information and it's getting out and it's causing huge issues for uh, people at large. And so if they can't do it themselves, then we'll regulate it. And that's where we're at. So, you know, you brought up a good point. You know, you, you keep saying they, 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 but we are patients. Mm, yeah. Am I allowed to be the IT guy for my doctor? That's a great question. Um, you can be. There's nothing that says you can't be. Uh, here's here's one area that you could get yourself in trouble. <laughs> and, and this is something I've seen uh, employees do as well, is that they will access because they can. What's that? Trying just going in and getting my own data. Yeah, they'll go in and access their own medical record. And believe it or not, that is a violation because unless you are, um, unless you are not authorized, charged with your own care, then you right. can't access that data. And so we've had we've had times when clients have called us and said, you know, um, you know lady, Susie at the front desk is. Um, is accessing her own medical records. And is that a problem? Yes, it's a problem. I mean, unless she's, you know, being charged with conducting her own care and she's part of that, then it absolutely is a problem. It's just like, it's a problem. If I go to my, uh, my hospital or doctor's office and somebody there knows me and decide they want to know why I'm there. And they look at my medical record. If they're not in charge of my care and they look at my medical record, even if they're an employee, they have just created a breach and uh, they just violated HIPAA. They can't do it. Interesting. You see this a lot whenever you see uh, either a high profile incident happen, you know, maybe you have a, somebody who's a, a star or a sports it happens a lot in sports. So somebody from an NFL team 
gets hurt, they go to a local hospital. Next thing you know, you're having people you know, talk about it, maybe on Facebook, or they have a picture they sent out, or some, it gets out somehow that, uh, you know, why they're in the hospital. All those things are, are medical breaches and it's uh, uses and disclosures, which are a violation of HIPAA. And in most cases, if you're paying attention, which most people don't because they don't need to, but if you're paying attention to what's happening around HIPAA, uh, when those things happen, you'll almost always see an incident where that was reported and handled and somebody lost their job and the hospital had to, to, um, to take um, action on, on that incident. So, with that said, um, are there like penalties for not being compliant and, and are they just for the client? Are they for us? Yes. And, uh, unfortunately they are for everybody. If you're a business associate or a covered entity, then there are penalties that you can face and, and they're and pretty whether You sign the agreement or not, right? Uh, it's worse if you don't sign the agreement. Oh, um, good. Fortunately, what they have is they, they kind of have these um, these tiers. So it's everything from, um, I, I can't even remember the names of them now because we don't use them much anymore, but used to they had it where, okay, a, a company uh, didn't know and there's probably not a way they should know uh, because HIPAA is really new to them. And and, and so we kind of give them a pass. And, and yeah, there still a, could be a fine involved, but it won't, it'll be much less. Sure. Then it goes all the way up to what's called willful neglect. And willful neglect is where you, you knew what you should have been doing and you just ignored it. Um, HIPAA has, has been around long enough now, especially with the omnibus rule change in 2013, and everybody's hollering about it for so long that very few times have I seen in the past few years where people can say they just didn't know. Uh, they can ignore it all they want, but in every industry that touches HIPAA, just like we're doing now, their discussions are out there. And so it's hard for anybody to say they didn't know they were supposed to be following HIPAA. They chose not to do it, or they want to argue whether they should do it or not. Uh, but they can't say that they're not in willful neglect any longer. So what happens if a prospect, uh, medical office calls you, hey, I want you to come give us a proposal. Um, <clears throat> first of all, do I need a BAA just to give them a, a proposal? And I uh, guess no. the answer to that's going to be, uh, if I sit down in front of their computers that have access to the PHI, then it's yes, right? Uh, well, remember we talked earlier about um, if you're sitting there and you're watching when somebody else is doing something. Persistent access, got it. Right. It can be the same thing. Let's say let's say that um, you're going to give somebody a proposal. Um, you, you may access the systems, but you're typically not going to be digging around in their data. Uh, but you can have them sit standing in there with you. I want you to be right here with me, Mr. Client, while I look at your systems, because I want to make sure you know that I'm not accessing anything that's protected health information. I'm just doing this so I can get an understanding of what's on your systems and we, I can give you a proposal. And so uh, you can have what's called incidental exposure. In other words, maybe you walked around a corner and somebody's stuff was on the screen sure. and you saw that. That's not a breach. That's incidental exposure. So you can't start, you know, screaming breach and, you know, running around like crazy, but <laughs> uh, that's the same. Let's, you know, let's say you have um, a cleaning, a cleaning company that comes in after hours and they see something or uh, an electrician's coming in and they're doing work and they see papers sitting around or they see something on the screen. All that is incidental exposure. So you do want to limit that as much as you can, but that's not a breach. Okay. So, in the, in the same light, mm -hmm. what happens if the prospect, let's say I give them a, a proposal and 
I'm, I'm, I don't do HIPAA, so I'm just going to pull this stuff out of my rear, okay? So <laughs> I propose all this stuff that they need for compliance. So I propose a UTM with auditing, uh, the RMM tool with auditing, um, better antivirus, some more security things, some more things, some more stuff, and whatever. whatever. Um, and they say, <clears throat> this looks good, except we're not going to spend money on a UTM or whatever. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to have a prospect that always says, I, I, I don't care about this line. I'm not going to spend the money. What do you do? Like. That's a great question. Um, there, there are a couple of schools of thought on it. There are some people that will tell you, you know, drop the client, uh, run away from them. Don't do business with them. That's certainly something you can do. Uh, there's another uh, thought. Uh, that people do where you, you just tell the client, look, this is what, this is what I'm offering you. Uh, this is what you're required to do. However, it is your business decision to whether or not you're going to follow compliance or not. If you don't want to follow the law and you want to continue doing things illegally, that's your business decision. Um, you may or may not want them to sign off on something. If it's something where you think it's going to put liability back on you, whether they sign anything or not, you do want to document that conversation. Uh, me personally, I don't, always try to get them to sign off on things. A lot of times I'll just document it. Sometimes the documenting could be something as, as little as sending them an email and saying, uh, just want to recap our conversation today. I presented you with a UTM. Uh, I explained to you how that fit into your security stance and how that also applied to your compliance. And, and also want to um, say that you chose not to do that at this time and just send it to them. And that's my documentation. It can be that simple. And uh, I've, I've mentioned this in other webinars, but lawyers like to call that email you sent mm -hmm. memorializing a yeah. conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to memorialize your conversation because, you know, depending on what state and what lawyer you talk to, yada, yada, yada. Um, by simply sending that email memorializing, hey, this is what we spoke about. Um, I recommended this. It would keep you compliant. You chose to go a different direction. Um, and and I don't know if, you know, if, if you decide to say you chose to break the law or not, I mean, that's that's up to you how you want to word that, how, how big of a, a weenie you might want to be to this prospect. Mm -hmm. but if if they don't reply to that and, and, like, dispute what you've said, then that kind of is like an admission of it being the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and part of it, too, that I, what we found, I'll give you kind of some little hints and tips on what we found that works well. Anytime you walk in and you start having the conversation go down the road of compliance, when, when you start mentioning compliance and HIPAA and you have to do this because of the law, in a lot of cases, you're either going to get pushback or you're going to get people rolling their eyes or, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and those are for a number of reasons. And, and we don't necessarily have to dive into the, into the reasons why that happens. But what I have found is when you change the conversation and you start making it about security, about privacy, about protecting your patients and protecting your business, they're, they're much more interested in having that conversation than they are when you start talking about, Oh, you're going to get fined. You're going to get audited. You're going to have a breach and it's going to sink your business. And you have to do this because of compliance. If I can talk them into doing something and doing it because they see the benefit to their patients because, you know, doctors, they take that Hippocratic oath, right, to do no harm. And, and actually, 
that is part of what HIPAA compliance is about. Uh, I was in a conference last year with the OCR director, and she specifically said out of her mouth that to do no harm is part of what HIPAA is there for. So when you have that conversation with a doctor and you put those terms uh, in, in terms that he can understand, or he or she, then that conversation tends to be a lot different. I like that. So if, if, you, if you notice, guys, he just told you, sorry about that. He just told you how to have a better chance of success selling to someone that should be having a client. Yep. So yep. make note, 40, 42 minutes. That's going <laughs> to happen, guys. <laughs> yep. uh, I mean, so, there's, there's, there's a lot of ways that I have found that this doesn't work. <laughs> so I can tell you what, how it does. Um, you know, one thing different from, from HIPAA for MSPs, there's all the other uh, things that are cropped up out there is that, you know, my primary business is, is an MSP and IT. I do that day in and day out. It's not HIPAA compliance and running a membership site. So I take what I learn and what I know and put it out there for others, hoping that they can fast track their results uh, and, and do, you know, learn from my mistakes or things that I found not to work. And then, of course, building a community around that, we all get to learn together from everybody else as well. Cool. So uh, what happens if there is a breach, an actual breach for one of your customers? You've got the BAA. Uh, you're doing everything right on your end, and mm -hmm. they have a breach, and I'm going to call it an employee breach. Okay. Um, hold on a second. All right. I got the office cleaning lady trying to get in my office here. Go <laughs> <laughs> away. Um, okay. So they have a breach. Um, say the last part again. So we're just gonna we're just gonna say it's it's an employee caused breach. It's not it's not our fault, the IT provider. It's okay. the the doctor's employee's fault. Okay. Um, so if, if it's if it's nothing around, it depends on one if it's around technology because you can have a breach that's not a technology breach. For instance, if you have paper records and those paper records end up in a dumpster, uh, you can have um, just you know, lots of other ways that they happen, but most of the time it is a, a digital breach. So if a client calls me and they have a breach, uh, it, first of all, if I'm not uh, liable for it and I didn't cause it or any of my techs cause it, I, I am so relieved, <laughs> but, but I'm going to ask them. Usually I'm going to already know, but I'm going to ask them, you know, do you have a compliance company that you're dealing with? And if they do, then I want to get in touch with them and start, start a dialogue because a lot of times, especially if it's around, um, technology, it means I'm going to have to look at what is their incident response plans? How can we, uh, you know, work within those? Are we going to have to get some other people in here to do forensics and stuff like that to find out what happened? Uh, and I'll just try to help them. And uh, of course, bill hourly for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I'm glad that uh, I'm not in the line of fire when that happens. And I've had a few of those. And, and I just bring the right people in. I try to orchestrate everything. And then I step back. Once once my part's done, I step back and, and invoice. Okay. So so now let's talk about have, have and I'm just I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Have have any of your customers ever gotten a breach, David? Um yes. It's, I haven't had 
I've not had these huge breaches that you you know see about in, in the media, but I've had yeah I've had uh, clients that you know emailed the wrong person and it was a one person breach or you know little small things like that, um, but I've not had these super huge ones. Yeah, no, that's fine. Have any of the breaches ever been your your company's fault? No, thank goodness, no. <laughs> that's good. That's real good. Um, okay. It's a concern. And that's why, you know, I have to make sure that my techs are trained and HIPAA compliance training and security awareness training is part of what you have to do. Uh, so we document that I spent this morning actually going through some training and documenting it for my techs. We just hired a couple of new people. So I have to send them through training and it's a constant thing with us. We don't, we don't do the annual HIPAA training. I think to me, that's a bunch of bull crap. Um, you can't create a culture of compliance within your company or culture of anything if you're just doing it once a year. So it doesn't mean I have to do one whole day of HIPAA compliance training or send them through some boring video. It means that when there's an opportunity to discuss it, then let's have a conversation about it. If that means that, you know, first thing in the morning for 10 minutes over coffee, we have a discussion about something that was HIPAA related or it could have been a breach or this is why we do password management the way we do or, or whatever that is, do that on a consistent basis and then document it. And, th and that's your training. It doesn't have to be some major to do. So, okay. Okay. I like it. Now, what about, um, are there any kind of like audits or anything that need to be done on a regular basis? From, from our standpoint? What was that? From, from IT? Yeah. Are there any, are there any audits that you, the owner of your MSP feel that you need to do for your clients to maintain compliance? So we do the, we do security audits and we go in and we look at those things there again. Remember back at the very beginning, we talked about the security rule. Mm -hmm. So we look at those things that are technology related. Uh, we do an audit around that. And we also go a step beyond because I'm familiar with the, some of the other things outside of the security rule. We'll look at things that, may touch physical compliance. Some of it is administrative compliance. We'll look at that, those types of things, but I'm not going to be involved in, in fixing that. If they don't have the certain policies and procedures in place, I may notify them that, that they need it, but I'm not going to be involved in helping them put that together unless that policy or procedure is around technology. So yeah. if they need a, a workstation use policy, then by all means, I'll help them, you know, figure that out if they need my help or if it's, you know, password management, then, you know, there again, I need to know those things anyway, because if I set their password up to expire every 90 days, but their policy says it's going to expire every 60 days, well, now, now we have a problem. Why it's because of you. Right. Now we have a problem because I didn't set things up the way I said I would. Mm -hmm. So, and even something like that, that's not a breach, but that would put you out of compliance, right? Right. Technically. And right. I don't Just know if having a... Yeah, having a failure, a failure to do certain things is a, a violation of HIPAA, but it's not a breach. So if they came in and you had no policies and procedures in place, um, and let's say you did have a BAA, so you were good on that side, but you were missing your policies and procedures, uh, or you didn't do a, a, a good risk analysis, which most people don't, uh, it's not a good or thorough risk analysis, then they can ding you on stuff like that all day long. Um. And then someone mentioned inventory. Do you have to do inventory? No, I don't. I don't know if you want to be specific about inventory. I can speak to it. 
Well, I mean, they might have to, like, your client might have to do inventory on, like, you know, how many pads of gauze and, and um, uh, the samples of medicine and that kind of stuff. But maybe it's asset management type stuff. Do you have to do, like, uh, how many workstations, servers, monitors, printers? Like, do you have to do any type of auditing like that of inventory? Well, your whole risk analysis is, is built around where is that PHI created and then where is it uh, maintained, where is it transmitted and where is it received? And so when a doctor's office is doing that, they have to look at that. How, number one, how is PHI even created within our company? So, you know, they got people up front, they're keying stuff in, they got people scanning things in, they got the doctor putting in notes somewhere. So you got all these ways that this PHI is being created. Okay, how is it being created? Where is it being created? Where is it being stored? Where, how is it flowing through my business? How is it flowing out of my business? How does it flow back into my business? So all those things need to be looked at because remember, we're doing a risk analysis. And, and Sebastian asked how keeping track of the electronics uh, would, would somehow affect compliance. But I think uh, as Johnny mentioned, it's it's like the chain of custody. So if an employee is taking home an iPad that mm -hmm. a doctor normally uses to show patients their charts, then is that a breach or or what what is that? Where does that fall? So that's that's a conversation that you would need to have with the doctor's office or maybe just the management team there to determine, okay, do we have a policy in place for this type of equipment, where it needs to stay, and who's allowed to touch it, I imagine, is, is kind of the policies that you put in place. Right. And another thing, too, about uh, as far as around inventory might go is, you know, let's say you have um, hard drive or, or external hard drives and, and they're locked up in a safe somewhere. You know, people don't typically access them. They access the safe, but mm -hmm. maybe the data is just sitting there. And we've had this happen. Matter of fact, my personal information was was uh, lost because of a, a local ambulance company had hard drives in a safe. Somebody accessed the safe. Hard drives were gone. Nobody knows where they went, but they know they have patient data on it and they were not encrypted. So, um, you know, encryption is a, is a big piece because had those things been encrypted, then uh, they could have the safe harbor exemption. And so they would not have to have um, reported those as being a breach. Got it. So when it comes to encryption, do you typically recommend whole disk encryption? Uh, yes, I do. Yep, absolutely. And not only do I, first of all, anything that moves gets encrypted. If it's mobile, if it's a laptop, if it's an iPad, a phone, um, USB hard drives, thumb drives, anything that's going to be in that, I don't ask them, what are you going to use it for? It's going to get encrypted because I can tell, I can tell them uh, or ask them, you know, what are you going to use this thumb drive for? Well, we're only going to use it to put this on. Within two weeks, it's got patient data on it because, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's just going to happen. So, you know, I'm not trying to prepare for everything to go right. I'm trying to prepare for everything to go wrong and then understand how I'm going to deal with that when it happens. So, yes, I encrypt everything that moves. I encrypt things that don't move if I can. <laughs> uh, there's no, no reason not to. So many breaches uh, are because somebody had a laptop in a car and the car got broke into. 
uh, and it's just, it's not encrypted. And then you find out, you know, they had Windows 10 Pro on it, BitLocker is already installed. It, it, all they had to do is just enable it. There was no reason not to encrypt this thing, but they didn't do it. <laughs> oh boy. So for those of you joining us late, uh, welcome to MSP webinars. We have David Sims, the owner of HIPAA for MSPs.com joining us. And he's, he's educating the heck out of us today on uh, some like basic questions. And I think we're getting a little more advanced with HIPAA. There's a lot of uh, what ifs and possibly silly questions. In, in fact, speaking of a silly question, um, I, I don't know if this is like a joke going around or what, but what's, what's the deal, man? What, what, why do people keep mentioning HIPAA facts? F-A-X. Faxing? Um, not sure. Is, uh, is there such a, is, okay, is a fax machine HIPAA compliant? <laughs> so, honestly, it is a good question. Um, if it, if HIPAA goes over POTS lines, so plain old telephone service, it, I'm sorry, not HIPAA, if faxing goes over plain old telephone service lines, believe it or not, it's not covered. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about securing that telephone service line or, or whatever that might be. But if, if you're doing faxing and it goes to, let's say ring central fax or e-fax or any of these other providers, then yes, if that's, if that's PHI and it gets faxed in and it's sitting on a server somewhere, uh, then yes, you now have to deal with HIPAA compliance uh, in the same vein. And this is one that uh, we still have people argue about and we're still trying to, um, you know, figure out exactly which way OCR would go on this, but there's, there's now looking, there's now people looking at, uh, systems that are VoIP systems. So if a patient calls in, they leave a voicemail, a voicemail sitting on a server somewhere, it's digital data and it's protected health information. So now you're dealing with, is my VoIP provider or do I have a hosted server in house? And now I got to protect that differently. Uh, it can get hairy. It can, it can be real crazy. Wow. I, you know, I didn't think about that. Um, so what's funny is, you know, I mentioned the HIPAA compliant facts and mm -hmm. Zach said, oh, God, okay, let me explain. Fax is considered the preferred method of exchanging PHI, so cl clinic directors all want faxing everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if maybe that's just now all these clinic directors know they need to be HIPAA compliant, so now they're asking everyone for HIPAA compliant fax. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a HIPAA compliant fax. Like I said, if it's digital faxing, which most people do nowadays, right? I mean, you're faxing... Mm -hmm. It may go from a fax machine, but a lot of times it's sitting somewhere else. I mean, I have, uh, I have fax service. I don't have a fax machine, but I can fax from my email and I get it faxes in from somebody. So if they sent something from an old fax machine, it'll come to me in my fax number, but it's sitting on a server somewhere. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not coming out in a machine here at the office, a piece of paper like the old fax machines do. And so I have to keep that in mind. And um, I, want to, I want to step back for a moment, too, about the encryption. I have also found that one of the things that is necessary for us as IT providers to do about encryption is to educate the users on how encryption works for them. And I don't necessarily mean the whole, you know, 256-bit versus something else. What I'm talking about is that people do not typically understand that when they're using their computer, it is in an unencrypted state, and they will attach files to an email and send it out thinking that it's encrypted because you told them their computer was encrypted. <laughs> now, I I went to a doctor and it it was a uh, 
it wasn't like a, an MD, so maybe this is this is where he was able to skirt around some things. I don't know. He mm-hmm. basically said um, he doesn't mind communicating through email, and if I say it's okay to have him email me PHI type stuff because I'm the patient and I'm giving him permission and I'm, I'm saying, I want you to provide it to me this way that he's not breaking compliance because it's the patient's request. That is true. So a patient can, has their right to opt out of HIPAA compliance or HIPAA protections. Uh, so you'll see that sometimes when you have, you get to the doctor and says, what is your preferred method of contact? Can we text you, email you, whatever, uh, you have just told them that as far as your protections under HIPAA is concerned, you're waiving your right to that with being contacted in these methods and formats. Now, um, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but now everyone's going nuts about what I just said. Um, to, to be fair, I'm an IT guy, so I asked him all these HIPAA-related questions. So that's mm-hmm. how all this came up. He did not bring it up to me, guys. I <laughs> said it to him, like, can't, you know, you can't just send me an email with, with my records, can you? He says, well, it depends. Are you asking me to send you an email with your records? Because mm-hmm. I can if that's what you're asking me to do. Yeah. So yeah, if you, they can't come, they can't uh, give you a form when you walk in the door and say, here, sign this waiver of your rights. Yeah. And I've known people to try that. Look, we'll just have everybody walk in the door and, and waive their HIPAA rights so we don't have to follow HIPAA. Um, no, sorry. Uh, I would I would venture to say that the powers that be would probably come down pretty hard on you, even if everybody signed to have their, their rights waived just because you did that. So, okay, um, man, I feel like we're running out of time. I sent you so many questions. <laughs> All right. Um, so somebody had a question earlier that I saw because I'm trying to catch a few of these. Somebody asked a question about is an attorney uh, or law firm bound by HIPAA? So that's a good rabbit hole to go down a little bit because a lot of people think that HIPAA only applies to medical offices and dental offices and medical stuff. Um, I'd say as it, as it's been proven with us as IT guys, if they're getting medical data, then it, it might apply, right? Right. So uh, I had a guy tell me one time, he was an uh, MSP, and he's like, I don't want to deal with HIPAA. I'm just going to stay away from HIPAA. only thing I want to do is financial and legal. And I'm like, great, you're going to run into HIPAA all the time. <laughs> <laughs> because yes, if, if an attorney there again, you got to think about it. if the attorney's receiving that information, uh, maybe it's through um, malpractice suits or things of that nature, then they're going to be a business associate. And that means they have to follow HIPAA compliance just like you do. It means their IT environment has to follow HIPAA compliance uh, within their IT environment um, with accounting firms that could be cutting checks uh, and sending checks out to patients and things like that. That's patient information. And so accounting firms are going to fall under that. There are so many companies now that are falling under compliance that you, you can decide to stay away from medical and dental and all that, and you're still going to end up uh, being involved in compliance. So, okay, let's say you know, it doesn't work that way with the attorney. I'm, I'm thinking it's got to work with some of us, okay? So let's say my laptop is stolen out of my car. 
Steve the Tech, right? Mm -hmm. My laptop is, you know, we're going to call it the TeamViewer software because that's what we talked about earlier, installed on it, mm -hmm. which that can be used to access all of my clients' computers, including all of those new doctor's offices that I got to sign on because I suckered them in with the Hippocratic Oath statement that you told me. <laughs> Did I just did I just create a breach? Um, if you can't prove otherwise, you might have a problem. Um, and that's where having things set up properly is is important. So I'm sure you have. OK, let's say you don't have it encrypted and all that. Um, I'm hoping you have at least a Windows password, which we all know is, you know, takes five seconds to get around. Well, yeah, but I, you know, I set it to just automatically log in because I'm too busy to. Yeah, it's too, you know, security is inconvenient. We wouldn't want that. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping that you have things in place where they have to jump through a few different things, maybe, you know, 2FA or some other stuff before they can actually get to the point where they're logging into your customer systems. If they um, don't. No, two FA is also annoying. In fact, I just have the TeamViewer software just log right in and it even starts up with Windows, making it real easy for me. Yeah. So what you'd have on your hands though, is you'd have an investigation. You're going to have to investigate whether or not the the loss or theft of that laptop has resulted in any of your uh, clients being exposed. That would be a mess. That sounds that sounds like a struggle. Now, um, had I done full disk encryption on that hard drive, that probably would not have done any bit of good because the TPM chip is already inside. So it's not like it's it needs the USB drive key for the boot up. Mm -hmm. Are you able to have no password on Windows with full disk encryption using BitLocker? I believe so. Yeah. Man, that is that would be stupid. <laughs> somebody, somebody, well, Zach says no. Well, somebody said yes. Somebody said no. I'm pretty sure you can, but you have to have a pin. That's right. Okay. Is that what it is? So okay. So if I uh, third wall. <laughs> so are you Absolutely. familiar with third wall, David? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so it sounds like if I was at least smart enough to uh, to do full disk encryption with BitLocker on my brand new shiny Windows laptop that uh, has the TPM chip built in, at least um, it's going to be a little bit difficult for them to get logged in mm -hmm. because they'll have to do the pin. And then they can go in and, like Mark said, change the TeamViewer password, and then mm -hmm. everything's right as rain. Yeah, and check the log files and stuff like that to see if anybody logged in. Got it. Um, I, I'm sure TeamViewer will do that. Okay. So it, even even a, a lazy IT provider that, that cuts all the corners, like the one that I just pretended to be, I swear that's not what I really do, um, can at least do some things to mitigate any huge potential problems. Right. Right. And honestly, for most of the IT related things, I mean, we do okay. IT providers do good with that. Uh, it's when you get down into the weeds of the other nuances of compliance is where we get lazy. So let's see. Um, cloud storage. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you some possibly dumb questions and you can just give me short answers. That's fine. Uh, is Dropbox HIPAA compliant? I, it can be used in a HIPAA compliant manner. Okay. So what so, does that mean? That means as long as you have all the necessary security in place where it can, same thing like, you know, we're talking about your, um, your workstation. If you don't have a, 
an individual username and password on there that's unique to you, then it's not being used in a HIPAA compliant manner. Same way with these cloud providers. So whether you're using Dropbox or uh, Google Drive or any of these other ones, if you look, usually they'll all have some type of um, guide for like HIPAA implementation guide so that you can set things up to be used in a HIPAA compliant manner. Okay. Um, and even cooler, Kurt just said Dropbox will sign a BAA with you prior to loading any data if you're on a business plan. Right. Very cool. Yeah, and that's another thing is you have to have the BAA if you're going to store PHI there. But the other thing uh, to consider, too, is um, how are you going to use that? And, and will they sign a BAA? You don't want to put stuff on there and then find out they won't sign it. Uh, in some cases, they'll sign a BAA only if you're paying them a certain amount of money or on a certain plan. Uh, those things drive me crazy, but I understand why they do it. <laughs> uh, so you could be on the, you know, whatever essentials plan and they're not going to sign a BAA. But if you move up to the pro plan, they will. So you have to make sure you're you're paying for the right thing to get that, that agreement. Um, okay, so sticking with the cloud, um, with Dropbox, now is there, remind me guys, is there a difference between Dropbox for business and Dropbox for teams? Can you have an individual business account or do you have to have one of those team accounts where it's got like three plus or five plus users? We'll come back to that. But um, Zach said, uh, and you can't do the shared user account BS that clients use to save money. So you can't have one Dropbox account with your terabyte of space installed on 12 computers that 15 different people access because now you're creating, uh, I can't think of the term, but it, I mean, e even still, like think of, think of just a Windows file server. Let's, let's not even think about PHI right now, okay? Would you want your secretary and, and your uh, cleaning person to have the exact same security policy on all of the shared files and folders as the CEO or the controller? I mean, that would be foolish, right? So there's no reason for us to have, you know, a bunch of different people using the same Dropbox account. Right. And that's the same thing as there again, back to the workstations. I mean, you have to have, um, unique user identifications for everybody, for everything. I mean, you can't have, uh, you know, everybody logs in different usernames and passwords in a workstation. Then when you get to the uh, the health records platform, everybody's using the same. You can't. Um, not only that, but imagine when something happens, how are you going to figure out who did it? When you look at your log files and everybody's logged in into the same username, you have no idea. You just did blame it. everybody and figure out which one is sweating. Just, just fire everybody. <laughs> So uh, what about Office 365? I think they will sign a BAA. So does that simply mean it can be used in a HIPAA compliant fashion? The same as any 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 tool I use uh, or I ask you about, you're going to say, well, that could be used in a HIPAA compliant manner, yada, yada. You're right. Going to because otherwise, jumbo. Yeah, because you can violate any of it by just simply bypassing all the security that can be in place. If you Got just turn all of it off, you can't say this is HIPAA compliant. You know, back to what I said earlier, uh, a, a service and product uh, can't be HIPAA compliant. It can be used in a HIPAA compliant manner, but it's the business itself, the processes and 
the procedures and all those things is what makes the business compliant. And then it passes on to the services and products that they sell. Um, are you, and, and I, I hope by asking this, I'm not shooting anybody in the foot. Okay. Are you aware of any vendors that it guys just love to use that cannot be used in a, in a HIPAA compliant manner? Hmm. No, not right off. Okay. No, not right off. So, so let's talk about HIPAA compliant manner in the cloud. Does that really mean just like <laughs> clam win? <laughs> AVG. <laughs> I mean, if we got down to some specifics, I could probably speak to it a little better, but I mean, I don't know of anyone that says you absolutely just can't use this company. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of them out there. I just can't think of any right off. But, but that also means they're not popular enough to be on your radar. So that's okay too. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so HIPAA compliance in the cloud. So does that mean essentially each user has to have their own account to said cloud thingy? Mm -hmm. um, each user has to have their own unique password. And do they have to have 2FA if it's supported? Uh, they don't have to, but it's strongly recommended. Of course. I have 2FA on my Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, um, I can't think, like, what what other things can we do? Like, okay, Datto. Do you use Datto for your business? Mm -hmm. um, what do I need to do? in order to use data in a HIPAA compliant matter, besides a BAA? So you have to have a BAA with them, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to have a BAA also with your, your client. Of course. Uh, you know, when you set that up, I'm, I'm sure you set it up, you have a password on the device itself. So, you, you know, if you log into the web portal, uh, you can't get to it that way. Um, you know, it's, it's just basic security procedures at that point, and then documentation. More, more of a compliance in HIPAA, especially, is about the documentation than anything else. Uh -huh. Because if you if you don't document it, it didn't happen. You can't prove anything. Think of it as like a, a, a court case. If you had to go to the court and prove that you did or did not do certain things, can you do it? You can't just say, oh, yeah, I always do that. Great. Show me the documentation. I don't have documentation. Uh, it's it's more about that than anything. Document everything. Uh, we like to say in, in, in our group that we like to document everything. Then we document that we documented everything. And then we documented that we documented it, that we documented everything. <laughs> so, okay. I like it. Documentation. Documentation is key and not just documentation, but policies too, right? Mm -hmm. So, so we should have a policy that says uh, passwords will change every X days and then we should actually implement that, not just have the policy, but actually put the policy in place. Because right. by saying that and not putting the policy in place, we're in breach. And I'll, uh, I'll put a link here in the chat right now. It's an article I wrote a while back for Continuum, which actually goes down a list of uh, a lot of the things you have to have under the safeguards. You have the administrative, physical, and technical safeguards of the security rule. Uh, and so it kind of, it does give you kind of a little checklist there. So um, everybody watching would probably like to see some of that, but it, it gives you a good idea of all the things you kind of have to look at and do. 
but policies is a big part of it. Um, there's also a lot of uh, other things that you can do for your clients that that falls around compliance uh, that you can do. For example, security awareness training, that's a requirement. They have to have security awareness training and that's something you can provide for them. It doesn't have to be just HIPAA training. You know, you may may or may not know enough about HIPAA to, to speak to it and that's okay. There are people out there that sell that. You can go to, you know, Bigger Brains and, and get their training, uh, which- No, before, uh, there's tons of them. Yeah, there's ton, tons of them. So you can get those and, and, and provide that. And the security awareness training is in there. You can have lunch and learns where you either go to their office or bring them to your office and, and talk about security awareness. It's just, it's the things that we do every day. How can you use your computer in a way that, uh, that it protects the data, protects you, protects our company. Um, I mean, it, the user itself is going to be your best last line of defense, or it's going to be your absolute worst hole. Yeah. It all depends on how you decide you want to treat that user. So compliance is a lot about the user. So I want to I want to breeze through this last part real quick because we're getting low on time. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about some like basic things for all of us guys that are new to HIPAA to consider. So when it comes to like physical, and, and we're just talking technology, okay? I don't care about you know are the doors locked, but we should talk about physical access, um, location of monitors. Um, is, is there like a policy that needs to be put in place that states like what direction the monitors should or should not face? So, uh, yes, it has, you have to be able to protect that data that's on the screen. Some people use the little, you know, the screen blackout shields yeah, or whatever. That you can't see. Or whatever. Yeah. So you can yeah. do that. Um, and, you, and some of the stuff too, you have to think that, you have to think about the fact that HIPAA is written in a way, and they use this terminology a lot, that the things that you do have to be reasonable and appropriate for your environment. And they also have to be reasonable and appropriate for your practice. Um, so that can be anything from, um, okay, sure, I would love to have, you know, this big, huge $1,000 a month event monitoring hardware on my network that does all this great, cool stuff. But you know, if I'm if I'm a thirty thousand dollar a year uh, MSP, then I certainly can't afford a thousand dollars a month for that. So it's not reasonable and appropriate for me to have that. Mm -hmm. um, and the same thing kind of goes to your clients. It, if you know, if you're proposing something that's just way out of line for them and it's not reasonable and appropriate, they don't have to do that, but they do have to do something. Uh, so it may be they have to go down and, and do the the thing that's going to cost them a couple hundred dollars a month versus a thousand or whatever. It just okay. has to be reasonable and appropriate. And the doctor can't say I can't afford that. Well, he can't say it, but he can't say I can't afford that and then spend twenty thousand dollars on a European vacation. But he couldn't <laughs> spend a thousand dollars a year for something to protect his data. They'll do that. People will do that. And, they, and that's their choice. But if, if they ever get audited because something happened, uh, that's not going to. It's not going to fare well for them when, when that gets brought up. Okay. Um, are there any other physical access things that we should keep in mind other than like, and I don't mean physical, I'm not talking screensavers yet. We'll get there. Okay. So with physical safeguards, you're looking at things like um, access to the server, you know, is it locked in a room somewhere or is it locked in a cage somewhere? Um, you know, what is your contingency operations so that, you know, if something happens, you know, how are you going to, uh, how are you going to respond to that? Um, you got 
physical security to the facility itself. So, you know, is the doors locked? Do you have cameras? Um, and, and, and this is another thing too, if you have cameras, are, are the camera systems being monitored by somebody? And if so, are they pointing into directions that may be able to see, you know, patient information? Do we have to encrypt the DVR? Um, there again, I think it's going to depend a lot upon, um, you know, what is capturing, uh, a lot of this stuff can get into some some murky areas, and and I just sometimes I just don't even know without doing research as to whether or not it's going to be an issue. Do we have to encrypt the copiers? Um, I would say that you don't necessarily have to encrypt the copiers, but if it if it will do that, I will do it. But one thing I would do is I would snatch the hard drives out of the copiers before they go back to anywhere if they're on lease or if you sell them. Um, yeah, those hard drives are going to have all that data on there, things you've been and scanning and all that so snatch them out okay um some of the other things too is device destruction so you need to have a policy on how you're going to destroy media whether it's usb drives or hard drives or uh paper documents which typically we won't have but the doctor's office will that's why you see all of them with these shredders um and um you know they've they've actually i went to a um a a convention last year i believe it was and uh the fbi has um of course anything you know anything the fbi has we can get a hold of at some point (laughs) but they have this software now where you can you can take um shred a piece of paper in the crosscut shredder that everybody says you have to have take all the paper out lay it all out take a picture of it in the software within eight hours we'll put it all back together Oh man, we've been seeing it on TV shows for years. Yeah, so uh, they can do that. Uh, there is a shredder that you can use, and I can't even think of the name of it now. But there's another shredder you can use that says they can't do that with it. I can't remember. I think it's a micro cut shredder or something like that. Yeah, you got to get those like micro confetti cuts. It's yeah. So uh, I mean, they're fifty bucks. So whatever, get one. Um, so you have disposal. Uh, how are you, how are you going to reuse media? You know, let's say you want to pull a hard drive out and wipe it and, and reuse it. You know, what's your policy around that? Um, accountability for things, data backup and storage, you know, all those things are part of the physical uh, safeguards. Um, you know, for us, some people have the um, the hard drive crushers, you know, mm-hmm. so they crush the drives. And some people have other things they plug in and erases the drive using, you know, DOD means and it'll spit out stuff. What about um, just taking a... a- Drill it and drill. right through yep. the. And you does it matter what part of the drive that goes through? Like, um, I mean, you just need to destroy the platters. But um, you know, I, I live personally. I live far enough out in the country where uh, our preferred method is an AR-15. So um, nice. <laughs> so we'll take them out and and shoot holes through the drives. We take pictures before and after. We document it. We send the all the information to the client along with pictures, all the serial numbers and everything. Here's, here's our document. Just, I mean, here's our hard drive destruction process, you know, um, of course. No, let me just recap. We, we say we do uh, high velocity uh, projectile damaging. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me just recap this here. So if, if a client needs you to destroy their drive, mm-hmm. uh, you, you take it, to you know the woods somewhere in your backyard because i imagine you've probably got a lot of land too in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. uh, you put it on you know a rock or something and and you shoot it with an ar-15 and then you take a picture of said drive mm-hmm. looking all shattered and, and sad 
and you say, good news, client, your drive is destroyed. <laughs> Absolutely. And just like Zach said, I write off my ammo as a business expense. <laughs> as well as the AR-15. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is amazing. <laughs> I never even thought about that. Absolutely. Um, Wow. What if you bitlocker the, the hard drive, drive and throw away the key? What's that? What if you bitlocker the drive and throw away the key? Um, I mean, I guess you could, but if I'm going to get rid of the drive and I'm not going to use it, I'm going to physically destroy it. I'm not going to. It's just it. more fun that way, right? Exactly. Why would I take <laughs> take the fun out of it? You know. Uh, and plus, if you got you know, if you got employees, that's a good you know, a good day out in the uh, out of the office. Right, yeah. <laughs> just go out and destroy a bunch of drives, and man, that sounds like a like a nice bonding experience with the employees. Yeah. So you know, I, I want to say uh, the first gun I ever shot was uh, it was on one of those like future weapons shows. It's a fifty caliber Beowulf, so it's like an AR fifteen, but it, it shoots fifty cal ammo, and that was the first thing I'd ever shot. And uh, my first gun I after I bought after that was a, an AR-22. And let me tell you, that was just not the same. It, it looked like an AR-15 shot 22 rounds, uh, long rifle. And it just mm -hmm. just wasn't the same. So uh, start people off small, man. Don't, <laughs> don't give them the AR and say... Well, I'll tell you, the 22 long rounds will not go through the older Hitachi drives. Oh, so. I just mean in, like, in general... <laughs> Like, don't, don't hand someone your biggest, baddest rifle and say, here you go. And then after they shoot that, you know, hand them a little a little twenty two rifle and say, all right, here you go. Have fun, dude. <laughs> that's just, that's like, that's disappointing. There's so many things like that it's like, but I can't say that. Right. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, real quick, uh, password policies. Uh, do you have to have the display configured to time out quickly? with a password policy? Um, there needs to be a policy around when it's going to uh, go to screensaver and then have the password set for log back in. There is not a time that you have to choose. There again, has to be reasonable. reasonable. So it sounds like, it sounds like a lot of these policies are like, use your own common sense, dummy. Like, yeah. should, should it be 30 minutes? No, probably not. Like, <laughs> should it be one minute? Probably not, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and uh, who's that? Zach? Yeah, Zach brought up a good thing um, that NIST, you know, NIST goes into a lot of um, more detail, and they do have what's called a, a HIPAA and NIST crosswalk where they, they kind of put the two side by side, but but they definitely use a lot of NIST when they do some of the, the technology things around HIPAA, so... Yeah, I would certainly follow NIST. If you're following NIST guidelines, you're going to be okay on the technology side of it. But you, you know, still have to remember about the policies and procedures and documentation aspects. And and NIST, I just want to recap. That's the uh, that's the National Institute of Stupid Technology. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> um, David, can some people asked earlier? Can you explain to people what you do with HIPAA for MSPs and how you might be able to help them? So what we do there is it's simply providing the information and the education around HIPAA compliance. Uh, what we're, we're not doing is we're not selling you on, hey, you have to use this software or you have to sell things to your clients. We do have a relationship with a compliance company that can come in and do, like, for instance, the full 
security risk analysis and those types of things that you don't want to be doing. Number one, you don't want to have the liability. And number two, you don't have time for it. So they can do those aspects and then they push all the technology stuff back to you to be done. But it's really about training MSPs and IT professionals to learn how to appropriately and properly do compliance, do HIPAA in such a way that's going to keep them out of trouble and more importantly, make them even more profitable than they are now. Does it, does it cost anything to work with HIPAA for MSPs? So there's, there's a free tier and there's a, there's paid tiers. The paid tiers are going to give you access to more stuff, obviously, uh, and then more training. And we also have coaching calls and office hour calls. So the free stuff gives you access to like the articles and, and the podcasts, which are, you know, obviously is free. Um, the biggest value comes into in the training as well as the coaching calls because you can get on a call just like we are right now. We do two calls a month and people can jump on and ask questions. Uh, and and it's, a, it's not a webinar platform. It's more of a, a meeting platform. We use Zoom. So everybody jumps in. And, and we just have discussions, you know, what, what you should be doing, what kind of problems are you running into? If you have specific questions around internal compliance or maybe something you run into with a client, uh, we have myself that is there. And then we also have uh, the representative from Cardin Compliance there as well, because they've been doing HIPAA for 20 something years before HIPAA was around. Um, so, um, so it's good. It's a good time to get in there. It's like having people on retainer so that you can ask questions and make sure you're doing things properly. And um, what, what do you charge for the, for the higher tiers? Uh, good question. Uh, the, the tier, the professional tier is $67 a month. That really isn't bad. No, it's, it's not bad. And the other one, I have to look at it. The other one is a quarterly. Um, it's not monthly, it's quarterly. And the difference too, that uh, with the upper tier is not only is it quarterly, but, um, it's also a one-year commitment. And the reason why that's a commitment and the other one's month to month is because you get access to what's called the uh, certified HIPAA uh, training that we have. So uh, we now hold on huge... a second. You just said certified HIPAA training. Yeah, right. Right. Because we certify it. There's no such thing as being HIPAA certified. Right. It's not. You know, I tell people that all the time. It's we certify that you went through the training and you took the test. It's not recognized by the government, just like nobody else's is. The difference is we'll tell you that a lot of other people won't. It's not recognized by the government. Well, well as long as you're being honest about something. Yeah, it's not. Right? Now, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's something you can put, you know, you can put it on your marketing. You can put it on your website and all those things. It helps. It, but. It's not, you know, if you send something into the government, hey, I'm I'm hurt, uh, HIPAA certified, they're going to laugh you out of there. <laughs> it's no such thing. But the course itself is, uh, I mean, it's an eight-week course. It takes you from not knowing anything about HIPAA all the way through having your, all your policies and procedures done, uh, documentation, templates, everything that you need is in there. So it's a very, very comprehensive course. And so that's that's why the price difference is there, and that's why there's also a commitment there. Um, most people start out and what I usually tell people start out, if you're going to start out paid, start out in the, the monthly one. Um, and if you see value in it and you want to keep going, you know, if you want to jump up into the, the quarterly one, then do that. But, you know, certainly if anything else, just make sure that you want to even go down that path. If you only pay for a month and you decide you don't want to go down that path then great, you've not wasted a lot of time and a lot of money. Uh, you can, you can back out and go a different direction, but if you do decide to stay, then take full advantage of everything that's there. Uh, lots of people sign up and they don't 
you know, they don't attend the coaching calls and, and they, you know, some of the things that are the, the highest um, value points, they just don't get involved in. And, and it's, it's sad because they're the same people that a year from now, they'll tell me the, how they still are working on their, their internal compliance. And I'm like, why, why you had all this <laughs> at your fingertips and you didn't do it. I mean, but I know why we're all busy, right? Last thing we have time to do is, is compliance and another thing to do. So, uh, but unfortunately it's necessary, but if you do it right, if you do all this right, it's not just, I'm going to address compliance because I have to, it's something that you can turn around and charge more money for. You can roll out different services for it. You can better understand your clients and what they need. And, and, and because of that, you can sell them on it. I have clients that have signed up with us. They have absolutely nothing to do with HIPAA at all. They're, they're, you know, a restaurant chain. And the reason why they signed up with us was because we said, that we understand HIPAA compliance. And for them, they their thinking is, if you can do HIPAA compliance and keep those kind of people secure, then you can certainly keep us secure. And they sign up. I like it. Um, I just wanna thank you so much, David, for, for coming out, taking the time to, to do this. Um, man, my, I don't know about anyone else, but my head hurts, because that was a lot of good information. Um, and you've and you've given me a lot to think about. Um, there are some questions that I didn't get to even ask that were on my list. There were a bunch of questions that were in the chat that, that we didn't get time to talk about. Um, this is obviously a, a, a huge topic. So um, I, I'm going to say, you know, I recommend uh, going to HIPAAforMSPs.com and signing up, even if it is just for the month to month. It's $67 a month. Um, and with, with them, I just want to clarify the month to month versus the quarterly is the only difference really the, um, the, the training aspect. It's, it's the, um, the certified training. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like Zach said, we absolutely recognize the certification. Um, <laughs> so, 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 but, but yeah, but it's, even it's, on it's, the, the monthly level, they get access to the calls and everything else, just not the training. Right. They get it with the upper level. You get, you actually have two calls. So one's call, one is what's what we call an office hours call. The other one is a coaching call because when you're, when you're going down the path of building your own compliance, you usually have tons of questions. You need people to actually hold your hand and, and walk you through the, the process. You're going to want the templates that we have. So it makes it easier for you to fill out your own stuff. Um, but, all, but other than that, the month of the month is, is right for most people. Uh, it just depends on what level, you know, imagine it this way. If you have, you know, if you have a year to spend uh, that you can get your compliance done, then stay, stay on that middle level. But if you want to get it done within a couple of months or so, then you need to be in the upper level because there's just no way you're going to get the information fast enough and in a manner that's going to help you do it that fast. Um, and I think uh, somebody brought up a good point too, is that by being a member, that's part of your documentation that you're, you know, you're staying trained and, and up to date on what's going on. Uh, another thing that I don't do is I don't charge uh, per user for uh, businesses, uh, meaning that if, if, you, if you're in your technology business, you had two or three other employees and you wanted them to have access to it, then by all means, give them access to it. I'm not going to charge every single user in your company for it. So awesome. for $67, if you got five users, I don't care. Uh, you're only going to get one login, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I just don't, I don't want people to, you know, to take advantage and just send it out to all their buddies. But, 
you know, it will actually uh, ding you if you have too many IP addresses show up in your login. So you can't just send it out everywhere. But, you know, if everybody in your organization is going to use it internally, then it's not going to cost you any more for that to happen. Awesome. And I feel like right now my cat jumped on me. Nobody's able to take me seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, th thanks again, David. This was yeah. This truly was awesome. Um, so for those of you that made it through to now, you're, you're here at, at almost the end. Um, I just want to say thanks for watching. Uh, on Tuesday coming up, we have a webinar with CW Dash. And that is a ConnectWise dashboard. And uh, it's actually available for free. Oh, nice. That, how cool is that, right? So... Um, they're going to show you like here are some of the <laughs> here are some of the things that you should be looking at you know the KPIs the metrics what what kind of what kind of stuff should you be paying attention to as a business owner um, and then a week from today on Thursday the twenty fifth we're going to start a two part series on sales role playing uh, as weird as that sounds we're we're going to have two days where we all take turns we all practice together in Zoom. Uh, starting Tuesday, we're back in Zoom full time. Okay, um, so so on Thursday, the twenty fifth, and then Tuesday the thirtieth of January, both of those days are sales role playing, and we're going to practice calling, you know, cold calling companies or just having conversations with people, and then we're going to practice uh, sitting down and have sales meetings. And uh, we'll have other people that are, you know, we'll, we'll take turns being the good guy and the bad guy, right? The, the good guy being the MSP and the bad guy being the, the terrible person you're trying to sell to. <laughs> hey, so can, can I throw in a cold calling tip? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I stole this from somebody from a, from a conference, so I, I didn't come up with this. But uh, do after hours cold calling where you call while they're closed and you leave the voicemail on their machine, introducing yourself and your company. And if they have any IT needs to give you a call back, um, that's pretty good for a lot of people because they're scared when somebody answers the phone. And a lot of times you're not going to get to the right person, but it gives you a way just to kind of get on their voicemail, if nothing else, uh, and, and get um, and get yourself known. That's that's a great one for me because I am deathly afraid of sales. So out of everyone in this role-playing thing, I want to do this the least, guys, okay? But I'm doing mm -hmm. it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, starting in February, we got three awesome ones. We're going to do best practice patch management and ConnectWise Automate with Brian Kelly, the owner of Comprehensive MSP. We'll have an Autotask Endpoint Management Tech Talk. We've got Matei coming back for uh, round two with AEM. And then we're going to have another MSP roundtable. So we've got a lot of cool webinars coming up in the next few weeks. Um, so, yeah, feel free to hop on MSPWebinars.com. There is a calendar of events there. You can uh, register for any of the webinars right there. Uh, you can also go to uh, MSPWebinars.com, and there's a, a place for you to um, uh, subscribe because I have a Patreon. Um, and if you subscribe, that just helps me to, to keep this going because, you know, there are costs involved with, you know, having Demio and Zoom and MailChimp and everything else to make sure everyone realizes these webinars are happening. Um, and finally, there is a Zoom room 
also in the menu bar of the MSP webinars website. Uh, if you join the Zoom room, uh, I am usually there uh, Monday through Friday during business hours. Uh, we had people in there last night until like 10 o'clock Eastern. Um, so if you ever want to just talk with other IT guys, whether you just need a break and need some water cooler time, or if you're having a, a problem with a project you're doing and you need some help, join the Zoom room. You never know what you'll uh, what you'll run into there. So uh, thanks again, everyone. And I do hope you have a great day, great weekend. And I will see you all on Tuesday. Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today.